Hi everybody, Ian speaking. Well, this is the craziest and saddest timing I could have imagined, uh, but I'm speaking on September 18th, 2020. I just found out a few minutes ago about the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, tomorrow, th this episode uh, is scheduled to be released on Dear Justice Letter, I thought it would just be supremely bizarre for it to be released with no comment being made about this. Um, of course, Ryan and I recorded the episode some time ago. Um, so here's the comments. Uh, although now that I'm here, what more can I say than that I'm really heartbroken and um, I can only hope that the the glimmer of hope provided in this episode uh, with the story of what happened with Justice Brennan and his replacement, Justice Souter, uh, could conceivably apply to what happens uh, with the Supreme Court and with the United States of America in the days and months and years to come. Um, y yeah, I'm confident that I speak for ryan nelson when i say this um well to whatever extent you can enjoy good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to the alphabetical fugazi the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Dear Justice Letter from the 1991 album Steady Diet of Nothing is Ryan Nelson, a longtime Washington, D.C. musician and visual artist. Ryan, welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, it's going, going well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We were just talking uh, before we started recording proper um, about our sort of how our relationship with Fugazi dovetails a little in that you opened for them at a show that I saw, um, which was uh, at Georgetown, right? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <clears throat> George Mason University. Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, George Mason. Okay, yeah. yeah. My bad. So, so <laughs> were you were you a student? No, I was just. Uh, I think. I was I was a student in high school, um, but I, I didn't go to Mason. <laughs> yeah, no, I I went there. I think I attended the show with Carol Bowie, who would go on to play in Princess, who played before you guys, playing in Most Secret Method. Um, oh wow! So you were friends with Carol? Yeah, I was. I played in her band for a long time. I I knew knew Carol. I don't know if she. Uh, we haven't communicated in years, but like uh, like I hope. You know, I don't know if she'd remember me, but I remember Carol from a long time ago. Um, yeah, like uh, uh, that show, that was the, probably the biggest crowd the Most Secret Method ever played to. Um, and we we toured <laughs> we toured a lot, and we played we played some. Uh, we I mean, you know, we we have the typical story of like every most every band I've played in. You know, you played a you tw about twelve people a night. <laughs> So I'm real used to small crowds, um, but that was uh, the Fugazi show was was one of the biggest shows I'd ever played. That one that you saw, and what's funny about it is that uh, it has been referred to me as 
the Fugazi Princess show <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, well, actually, I can't say that, but it's like I've had, I swear, I've had three people mention that show to me and they've said, not knowing that I played it and they've, and they've <laughs> called it and they, and they called it the, the Fugazi Princess show. And I, I've politely smiled and I was like, yeah, I was at that show. Yeah, I, it's definitely, I was definitely at that show. But I, um, yeah, and that was it. That was the only time we ever played with them. Uh, we knew the guys in Fugazi and we, uh, you know, we had, you know, we had a, like I worked at, at Discord and I knew Ian and Joe probably the most, but I, and I, but I definitely knew all of the guys, uh, Guy and Brennan as well. By the way, speaking of that, working at Discord, I was wondering. So you you played in Most Secret Method with your brother um, Mark Nelson. Is is there any relation with Jeff Nelson, or is that just a coincidence? No, it's just a coincidence. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. It's like a, yeah, just a super common name. Got it. <laughs> I was just I was very curious there. Okay. No, please but, continue. But I mean, no, it, no, no. It's okay. It's it, like when at Discord, like you'd get. Um, like we'd get, uh, it's there's so much to tell. There's uh, but you, there used to be um, the Discord answering machine. It was like a, I was always kind of afraid to check the answering machine because because <laughs> people like Discord was pretty open. Like that you know it wasn't it wasn't difficult to find the number to the office, um, and people people would call like they do like late night. I don't know, drunk calling or something like, I'm going to call discord. I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them how I really feel. <laughs> and they'd leave like these, these messages on the, on the answering machine. Uh, and sometimes they'd be like, like, you'd know, like they were in a state because, you know, you'd hear the, and then they'd be already in the middle of, <laughs> of, of a rant. Like they'd already been talking before, before the beep even happened. Right, you know what I mean? Right. So like, it'd be like, we're checking the messages and it'd be like, and dollar signs are, are on your forehead and you, you you need to be accountable. Like it was, you know, there, there were all these like, you know, and, it, you know, sometimes it wasn't just that. Like there was, there were nice calls too. But I remember getting a call once where, uh, uh, it, actually it wasn't a, it wasn't an answer machine call. It was just somebody calling like, uh, like he probably expected the answering machine. And he said, uh, so are you, uh, are you related to one of the minor threats? <laughs> and that's and that's how he said it like so angry <laughs> like, wow. he was so mad at me for having the last name nelson anyway sorry um uh but about that show uh the show was great and i don't i remember i mean i remember a little bit about playing the show i don't i don't have a great memory about the specifics of the show of all the shows that we played but that one that one was great because um, for a lot of, a lot of people don't know about Fugazi until instrument came out. I think people, more and more people got it, but what a lot of people don't know about Fugazi is that the four of them collectively are some of the funniest human beings I've ever met. Like they're super fast. They're super witty. Um, their rapport with each other is, is phenomenal. Like they, they can, uh, like their comfort level with each other, um, which just makes them faster. Like it's, it's just, it's a crazy situation. So like backstage at that show, that pr the Fugazi princess show, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was I, in my memory, it was riotous. Like I was, I was crying, laughing. Um, <laughs> and I think, 
I, I can't even really remember what we were laughing at, except that, like, um, I think the the university had supplied a, supplied us with Papa John's pizzas, and and there were all these jokes going around about Papa John's, uh, and it was just like, you know, uh, innocuous like nothingness. But it was I, I can't I I can't explain it. It was just super giddy. I think Charlie Motes was there. I don't know if you know who Charlie Motes is, no. but no. Charlie is a Charlie's a guy who was at like every show with us. Like every DC show you go to that was like positive force related or something like that. Charlie was at every show. Um, you've probably seen him on stage in Fugazi footage. If you've watched Fugazi footage, he's, he's often like jumping right next to the band. Uh, in, in some footage he's, he's in a skirt. Um, but, uh, Charlie was like a, like a fixture at every, at every show. And Charlie's relationship with Fugazi was hilarious. <laughs> I heard, a, I heard a story once that uh, I know I'm going off here, but go for it. <laughs> I heard a story once that at the this Arlington co-op, uh, uh, Charlie saw. I don't know if this is true. I should ask Guy if it's true. But I heard that that Charlie used to walk around. He had this Polaroid all the time, and he uh, and he saw Guy's Guy's car at the co-op, and I heard this story that like. He, he was obviously shopping in the co-op. So Charlie went into his car real quick, took a bunch of photos of him behind the wheel <laughs> and, like, and then just like left the Polaroids on the seat and, and, and took off. So like he came out like Charlie was just in my car. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I don't that's know. A, that's was, a uh, prank. I love it. No, no. It's, it's, I mean, yeah. And we used to, that was something most secret method did all the time. We, we toured with a Polaroid so we could leave. <clears throat> We'd leave pictures of us, in clubs for other bands that were touring behind us. <laughs> nice. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that there's a widely circulated video of Fugazi doing Bad Mouth and uh, Charlie's on stage in a skirt dancing. I'm pretty sure that's the song I'm thinking of. Um, I'll I'll try to yeah. find it, put a link to that in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, I, I know who you're he, talking about. But Charlie, Charlie was, you know, he was like... Uh, like, like I said, he was just a fixture at, at every show and, you know, a, you know, a friend and all that kind of stuff. Like we, I haven't seen him in a long time, but, uh, he was, he was at every show, every show. Um, you could, you sort of count on him and he was, he was very close with, with Amy Farina. Um, in fact, they had a band together that (laughs) it was, uh, Alex Dunham, who was in Hoover and Josh LaRue, who was in, uh, Swartz. Uh, uh, Amy and uh, and Charlie, and they were gonna be called Charlie's Angels, <laughs> but, but at the last minute they changed they changed their name to Moats Definitely because his last name is Moats. <laughs> so they were they were Moats Definitely, um, and uh, yeah. Well, I, I might have to the... track down this gentleman and see if he wants to be on the show. Sounds like he's got yeah, some stories. Yeah, that's to tell. actually that's a great idea. Yeah, it, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, yeah, so I remember that, and uh, I remember a compliment that Brendan gave me that night. After we played, after we got off the stage, I was taking my drums off the stage, and Brendan, we hadn't talked that much, but he uh, he came up to me and said, um, he said, I love watching you play. Uh, you really remind me that I, that I have a I have a kick drum pedal. And the, uh, and the reason he said that is because I played a two piece set and I uh 
and you know, so I had to do like a lot of kick drum work, and you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it was a funny compliment, but it was it was a it was a good night. That's nice. That's something you can take into the future, right? That uh, Brendan liked I mean, watching you play. Yeah. I yeah I loved. I mean, watching him was was the kind of the ultimate. Absolutely. Like, I I love his playing. Well, yeah, it was a great show. I'm looking at the uh, page on the Fugazi Live Series website now. It says attendance 1,000. So um, there you go if you were curious. Um, the biggest, so most secret method you, show. And I don't, yeah, I don't know what the, um, the only other time I played to a bigger crowd, or no, a, a big crowd, a large crowd, was I played a, a sold-out show at the 930 Club with Beauty Pill, but it wasn't, it wasn't, the Dismember Plan was headlining. So it was, you know, it was kind of... Uh, That's a hell of a bill. On, on, on that. Yeah, it was the Aquarium, Beauty Pill, and uh, and Dismemberment Plan, and it was a benefit for Fort Reno. Huh. And uh, and it was a, like... And I think because that was sold out, that was another kind of big, big show that we played. I think probably the biggest concert I ever played myself was my band in college opened for a Dismemberment Plan when they came to play at our college. And of course, like somebody comes to play at your college, like all the, all the kids who are like even tangentially like into the, into that scene are going to be there. So that was for for certain the biggest show I ever played. Yeah. 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 And I mean, what was the space like? It was like the university center, like, I don't know, ballroom kind of a thing. It was, it was totally inappropriate. Like acoustics were bad, but uh, yeah, it's like the most reflective room in the world. (laughs) Yeah. It was very, very exciting. The stuff. highest ceiling of all time. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've done it. I've done that too, for sure. Uh, I mean, you know, but like, I'm not saying this like bragging rights. Like, f- yeah. for the most part, I've played really poorly attended shows and very yeah. unpopular bands. Well, yeah, I must say, <laughs> y- you guys made an impression on me, and I-, I thought you were very appropriate to open for Fugazi of that show. Um, but you, you guys were really good and um, I think I was cool. telling you over email I remember uh, uh, I guess Mark he would like he somehow I think in my memory he went out of tune during the middle of a song and he unplugged his guitar and plugged it into his tuner that was sitting on the top of an amp while uh, <laughs> you and the bassist kept jamming and he like tuned up and then plugged back in and I was like oh this that's so awesome that's really cool that a live band yeah. can sort of do that that's before I had I any experience about- playing in bands but um, it was I forgot about that tuner. Yeah, it yeah. was like before everybody everybody had the like the white yeah. box by the Boss. boss to like, you too. Was, yeah, yeah. It's it's before everybody in the world had that. Like he just had that thing parked parked on the top of his amp at every show. I have one more yeah. uh, most secret method related question to ask you, which is you guys yeah. your you album your album was called Get Lovely. Um, there is a great Mountain Goats record called Get Lonely. Is there any way in hell that that John Darneal is a fan of you guys, and that's where he got the name. <laughs> I uh, I do not know. I I've I've never I've never met him. He's never been in touch with uh, you. No. Yeah. No, Seems no, no. like a long but shot, I, but I thought I'd ask. Yeah, we we um uh yeah I don't know uh yeah I've actually I've, I I have to plead a little bit of ignorance. I've I've actually I've never heard of that. Um, uh, it's a great record. Yeah, I. Uh, we we had uh i can't remember why why we called it that uh i'd have to ask my brother but but like there was a have you ever watched the rolling stones like um footage at altamont 
I think a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> so weird weird tangent. But like uh you know the um so like you know, there's a murder yeah. that happens in the crowd, right? So like um there's there's footage I actually don't know what it was on TV because this predates like us having cable or or YouTube or anything like that. <clears throat> but uh, Mark and I saw that on on TV, and Mick Mick Jagger was react. He, there's footage of him watching the concert, and I don't know what it, where that footage is. But he's watching the concert and he's reacting to it, and he's saying like, "Oh man, I." Sh- I should have done this. I should like he's kind of reeling in like regret or something, right? It's kind of, it's kind of heavy. But anyway, watching that footage, I think when when that is happening, when the murder is happening, when the fight is happening, sort of melee, uh, you know, nobody knows what to say there. And Mick uh, Mick Jagger is just saying like, "Hey, hey, 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 cool out, C- cool it, <laughs> cool, cool out," like. <laughs> It's like kind of the most passive thing you could say. Yeah. Um, and then I don't, in my memory, I feel like we used to say things in the voice of Mick Jagger from time to time, like cool out. <laughs> and I think somehow my brother ended up saying, you know, like get lovely was part, was part of it. <laughs> I know it's, it's really, it's really tied to some weird stuff there, but um, you know. It's all good. Well, there you go, <laughs> listeners. This is the kind of most secret method trivia you only get on the alphabetical Fugazi. So it's probably very wrong. My memory is probably just Thanks destroyed. It's terrible. Actually, before we leap into this, let's just give a tip of the hat. You are married to friend of the show, Erin Nelson. So uh, say hi to her for us, please. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. Um, so let's talk about the song at hand. Um, and actually maybe if you want to take a minute, uh, weirdly, this is the 22nd, I think episode of the podcast. And, uh, this is the first song that we're actually covering from steady diet of nothing. Um, no out al- songs come before this alphabetically on the album. Um, Wait, you've done 20, you've already done 20, ep- I mean, 20, what did you say? 22, 22. Yeah. I, I haven't, as of right now, as we're speaking, I haven't recorded all the episodes that will air before this one. Um, right. Yeah. This is this will be the twenty second one that comes out. So twenty two songs in, and we're only at the letter D. <laughs> um. Yeah. There's there's a total of almost a hundred songs to cover. Yeah. This is a. This it's is a amazing. project. It's a project. Yeah. You got got some. You've got some work to do. So I, as far as yeah, the steady diet of nothing. The album. Uh, do you have? What do you think about it? Um, so I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, I, I love steady diet. Um, I've heard, I've heard, uh, people, um, I've, I'm, you know, I've heard things about this, this record being sort of lesser or, or something like that. And, uh, and I, I don't agree. Um, I think that it's, it's an important record and it's, uh, it's, I think it's great. Uh, it actually has, it has some of my favorite songs on it. <laughs> like, I mean, Long Division is on Steady Diet, and uh, Long Division is kind of a masterpiece, you know? Um, uh, I, I love Long Division. I actually, uh, I, I, saw, I saw Fugazi when I was working at, um, when I was working at Discord, I went to visit a friend in New Jersey, and we went to see Fugazi together. And uh, while they were playing 
long division. I didn't tell anybody in Fugazi that I was going to be there. Um, and while we, uh, while they were playing long division, Ian has a tendency to look at everybody in the crowd. He like, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but yeah. he, he like scans the crowd and looks people in the eye. Um, so I was standing there with my, uh, hideous bleach blonde hair <laughs> and you know, it was like a beacon. He couldn't miss me. And then, uh, but anyway, he's scanning the crowd and then he saw, he was singing. He was in the middle of the song singing long division and he scanned the crowd he saw me and he kept scanning and then he did a double take and looked at me and he like opened his eyes wide <laughs> and i kind of like shrugged like hey <laughs> sorry i didn't tell you <laughs> um That's but cute. it was uh no i mean but it's funny like because that is like when i hear long division now i have this funny memory of like uh uh, you know, I was kind of endearing. Do you know what I mean? No, I but totally but it's it. not it's, it's not just that. Like I love, um, I think, Runaway Return. I'm not trying to steal anybody's th- thunder. You know, like I know you got to talk about these with other people. But Runaway Return is one of my favorite songs on that record too, because it was like. Um, <clears throat> so here's here's so, growing up in D.C., I saw Fugazi for the first time in 1988. And uh, and after that, so the first show I ever saw is is a sort of a legendary show. It's um, uh, it was Raincrow, Verbal Assault, Soulside, and then Fugazi at Wilson Center, and I, I I think it was 1988. Um, super packed. Uh, uh, there's there's footage of it online. It's it's a it's a crazy show. Anyway, that was it. Like after that, like I was completely on board. Like I uh, I didn't miss Fugazi in D.C ever with the exception of like the secret shows they played at dc space i was never in the know for (laughs) for the secret shows i was never in the know like i just i would always hear about them the next day like you know didn't see it to the show last night i was like didn't hear my phone ring (laughs) um i saw i saw a a, like a uh unannounced show at it was actually at gee's house it, in Red Medicine era, like just before Red Medicine came out. So I saw one of those shows. But anyway, the point is, uh, I saw Fugazi a lot, right? And when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, like starting freshman year. And then I, uh, and they, when Repeater came out, I went to this record store in Silver Spring called Vinyl Inc. And I bought the vinyl, I bought Repeater. And I couldn't wait to get Repeater because I wanted to hear this song where Gee sings, Into the ashtray, out of the (laughs) ashtray. And I was just like, I cannot wait. And I got Repeater, put it on the turntable, listen to it its entirety. Repeater, you know, just destroys, right? Yeah. Flip it over, listen to the side B. I never hear the song. (laughs) It's just like, why did you guys leave it out? I was like, oh my God, they're sitting on so many songs. They're yeah, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I was, I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Well, that's the way um, I always felt about furniture until they finally put it out in like, what, 2001? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, yeah, that's such a good song. So, Steady Diet, when Steady Diet came out, like, I remember like having to wait a really long time for Steady Diet to come out. And then, um, you know, Reclamation, uh, God. Reclamate like the recorded version of Reclamation was was a big deal to me because I remember the first time hearing Reclamation live, where 
Ian, I think Ian starts the song. Um, and it, I just thought it was going to be the fastest song ever. Like, like he's just playing, <laughs> he's strumming so aggressively, you know? And then they did this long, Brennan does this long fill, and then Joe, Joe comes in with that, that slow bass line. And like, I'm t- man, everybody got goosebumps when the song kicked in because nobody saw it coming. Do you know That's what I mean? Awesome. It was like a, yeah. it was crazy. It was crazy. Like, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm like, hair is standing on my arm right now thinking about it like i'm i'm actually reliving it so so uh so steady diet um runaway return is uh reclamation long division and uh and my favorite song on here is is dear justice letter for sure interesting yeah that's that's interesting like i i personally i am one of those people who's like i I would definitely say this is my least favorite of the Fugazi albums. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, the lack of that perspective you have, uh, because I did come into the band later in the red medicine era. So, uh, discovering their earlier (coughs) album was, was just, you know, retrospective and piecing things together, um, in reverse. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Of course there are good songs somehow. So the band have talked about how this was the first time they, they were like mixing and producing the record themselves and how it, it didn't necessarily turn out great. Um, let's see. I have a quote from Gee here. Uh, he says, we didn't feel like we had a really good handle technically on what we wanted to do. And we were also pretty fried from a shitload of back-to-back touring. Uh, I appreciate, I appreciate steady diet for a lot of things, but there was a flatness to both the performances and the sound that was weird to us. And I, I, I get that for me. I don't know. Like, I think I'll, a lot of it is, yeah, it's either that or maybe the songwriting. I feel like almost there's an earlier era of Fugazi and there's a later era. And on this album, it's like they had taken something away. They would like they had sort of like stripped something out of their sound and they would add something different on Killtaker and, and everything after that. But on this, they hadn't added that yet. And so there's something bear to it there's something spare and that's that's not necessarily bad but i guess it's not what i was ever looking for in fugazi based on the stuff that i already knew that i loved so yeah i I am one of those people who's not like a big steady diet person although there are some great moments i mean i so like i have uh, i'll say that i have a uh i have a pretty solid relationship with with all of the fugazi records do you know so it's like for me it's like um for me, it's like Lungfish. Uh, like, I don't know if you if you listen to Lungfish. Yeah, but, a little bit. But Lungfish is like, uh, there, are people, there are people that I know that only listen to early Lungfish. And there are people that I know that only listen to early Fugazi. Um, and at, at a certain point, they just kind of broke off. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are people that don't go past um, Pass and Stowe for Lungfish. And there are people that, that don't go past Rainbows from Adams or whatever. Whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and with Fugazi, it's like... Fugazi, it's like their cutoff might be repeater or might be steady diet or, or maybe even kill taker. Do you know what I mean? Like for whatever reason, like there are all these different eras that people do, um, and they and they have these cutoffs. But f- but for me, the band, it's it's the whole trip, and I mean that. I'm not saying it like it's not lip service. Lungfish to be a lungfish fan is like, you like you like. Uh, I mean, the joke is like if somebody's like, "Oh, I don't like Lungfish. All their songs sound the same," but a super fan, like somebody, a devotee of Lungfish, says, 
I love lungfish. All their songs sound the same. <laughs> That's great. That's and if you great. ask lung, if you ask lungfish, lungfish would be like, "Yeah, we're just writing, we're writing a song." Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's that's the thing. And if you abandon them at some point, like you're not getting the full you're not getting the full ride. I know this sounds romanticized, but with Fugazi, I, I think it's like, um, I think steady diet is very very necessary. I think it's it's like, uh, and Guy's criticism of it is totally like I get it. I even understand what he's saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, we didn't have a handle on the recording. <clears throat> they were tired from touring. That band toured constantly, you know? Oh, yeah. But uh, this, th- like, so, but the th- the awesome thing is, though, like, that's Guy's perspective of it. But, you know, a band makes a record for other people. And, you know, the band gave us this record. And that's what we have. And it's and it's wonderful. I, I think, uh, here, let me, can I just say something about the recording angle of this? Absolutely. Okay, this is how I feel about Steady Diet with the recording. Like, if Guy is, like, from that, that quote from Guy saying, like, that they didn't have a handle on it, like, in, in, some, in some sense, it's like, recording be damned. The band, they, like, the band is amazing. And, and like, you don't actually have to have a posh or clean recording to actually have really cool songs that are that are captured on tape like um and i'm thankful for what we have with with steady diet for sure like and it's not it's not like some backhanded compliment or something you know it's like uh gee might not be feeling it but man for the rest of us that were there we're like no man we got you we know what you're doing like do you know do you know what i'm saying yeah right on it's it's uh so like i i'm just i'm i'm in it like i mean Here's a here's another example. Um, uh, I talked to to Donzi and Tara. Uh, I actually I've told this story recently, <laughs> but I talked to Donzi and Tara uh, one time about the Bad Brains Black Dots session, and I was saying like, man, I'm so glad that record finally came out, and I was giving them a compliment on the recording, and Don said uh, he went, huh, really? Uh, you like you like the recording? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I, what are you? Yes, Don. What like? And he and he said, uh, he said, I got to be honest with you, Ryan. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing back then. Like I was just trying to figure it out. And he said, what you're hearing is an amazing band in the room. He's like, you could just point any old mic at them. It was bad brains. Do you know what I mean? Like, so uh, and it, so there's something to that. I, and I, f- I feel that way all the time. Like I like I like Misfits, um, and Misfits are really catchy, awesome songs. Those songs sound like they were recorded in a bathroom stall. There's yeah, nothing sure. good about those recordings. But man, what a band! Like I was just thinking like, the other day about Operation Ivy, which is like one of the worst guitar sounds I've ever heard on a record. But I mean, yeah, you, it's just what you're saying. It's unde- undeniable. <clears throat> Great songs. Yeah. Um, just a classic. Yeah. Yeah, you give it a like you give it a pass because like have you ever listened to a band's practice tape and been like, yeah man, that's the version. I wish it was cleaner, <laughs> but like yeah. that's like they were like they were on fire in the practice space. Like that's that's real. That's real. That's why like with with I mean, this is I'm not trying to compare myself to Fugazi or, or something like that, but with 
with the first soccer team record that that I did uh, with Melissa Quinley, we like we did demos and then we um, we tried to re-record some of them to 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 make better versions of them. And after a while, we were just like, you know, the demo is the song. Like, um, we're not going to come back to this. Like, so I don't know. I I like that kind of that kind of rawness sometimes. Well, uh, let's talk about that in the context of Dear Justice Letter, the song at hand today, um, which is, uh, by the way, so when this album came out, I was like eight, uh, nine years old, something like that. So I wasn't tuned into politics or civics or anything like that enough to uh, know anything about Brennan. So I, I had to go back and do a little bit of research. So I'd like to share that with any listeners who aren't up to speed uh, the way the way that I wasn't. Justice William Joseph Brennan Jr., uh, he served on the Supreme Court from 1956 to 1990, and uh, in his career he was known as the leader of the liberal wing of the Supreme Court and was considered a supporter of the First Amendment and abortion rights and an opponent of the death penalty, all that, all this great stuff. Um, and he... I, according to the research I did, he vowed at some point, I've seen him quoted as saying that the only way he would leave the court under a conservative administration was feet first, uh, basically saying, you know, he'd have to die, he wouldn't retire. Right. Um, but uh, as it turns out, he did retire for health reasons in 1990. He had uh, suffered a fall and a, a like a, a stroke, like not a huge stroke, but a minor one. And uh, his doctor told him that yeah, basically he faced the prospect of a major disabling stroke unless he retired and just got some rest. Um, so he did. And at the time of his retirement, the conservative Supreme Court justices outnumbered the liberals and uh, George H.W. Bush was president. So he would get to make the first appointment of his administration. So this whole thing had liberals in something of a panic. The L.A. Times headline when he retired read... Like a dramatic shift in liberal conservative balance is bound to occur. So yeah, it was it was a big deal. The the postscript to all that is that Bush appointed David Souter, and he didn't have much of a history of controversy, and that was kind of a strategic move because one of Reagan's nominees, Robert Bork, was rejected by the Senate because he had these extensive controversial written opinions. Um, so Souter was uh, there wasn't that much of a paper trail, but he was expected to be a conservative justice. And he did indeed start out that way, but just a couple of years later, in 1992, there was a case, uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that could have uh, basically overturned Roe v. Wade. And Souter was one of the key figures in, like, the court's ruling in that case, which unexpectedly they ruled with, he ruled with the more liberal judges and upheld the, the, the important stuff in Roe v. Wade. So that was kind of considered a turning point in Souter's judgeship justice ship and <laughs> in time he became considered pretty reliably part of the liberal wing of the court so it didn't end up actually being that big of a disaster when brennan retired so yeah that's that's right the, but i mean that's the thing about the news is that everybody makes predictions about you know how potentially bad everything is is going to be yeah um yeah. and i mean these days it's right on <laughs> yeah things look bad <laughs> Um, and Brennan had a, like, uh, man, he had a long ride, you know, like, yes. uh, I, I don't know if you just read how old he was, but wasn't, 
He was in his 90s, right? He retired at 84, and then he he died in his early 90s, I think it is. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, uh, Ian, I don't know how to start talking about this song. <laughs> I So I'll, I'll say this. Um, I love this song, and it's... It's one of my favorites, uh, if not if not my absolute favorite on this record. Um, I I think I I like this song, and I hope the guys in Fugazi, if they ever listen to this, don't get mad at me for saying this. I love this song because I think it is a mess. I think it is <laughs> it is uh, it is deeply deeply punk rock and an absolute like I mean not like a mess like. You know, we just threw this thing together. Like, it's a very deliberate, deliberate mess. Um, the opening chords of the song are are almost like uh, like horror-like. I think you know, it's like my favorite part of the song, those opening chords. They're, yeah, they're, I mean, the, those chords are so, are so abrasive, and <clears throat> it's got this weird horror show quality to it. It opens with just guitar and drums, so there's kind of like, you know, a deliberate uh, stall before the bass drops. Um and uh, and then when the bass comes in, uh, Joe's bass line is it's subtle what he does. He plays he he sort of plays with the riff and then he just does one note higher and then and makes the shift to the next chord and it's it's everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Brennan's beat is like I, I played drums in a lot of bands and uh, that is the, like this song is the kind of beat that I would want to rock every single night like it is such a groove it is so it's so good um he's doing i mean he's like actually it's uh he's doing a lot of flams do you know what a flam is um you know let's pretend that i don't and okay okay it's (laughs) it's taking hitting the snare with both with both sticks and then and then hitting uh and and the the second stick that hits is a slightly delayed you can you can hardly you can hardly hear the delay, but it's just an extra, an extra boost to the to the pop, um, and it's uh, and he's he's playing like he's playing toms and flams and toms and flams, and it's just a it's such a heavy 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 groove. Yeah, those persistent um, snare hits. I, I was just thinking they're so strident, they're so out out there. So yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that's what he was doing. But it's also it's also like it's really slow, and uh, there's this whole. Like for me, when I listen to a song that that jams like this, and thinking about a, a drummer's restraint not to speed up, like um, I mean, all drummers sort of speed up and slow down naturally, but uh, this like it's actually a pretty slow groove. <laughs> it's 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 not it's not easy to do. Uh, it's it's great. It's it's really great. Um, and then when they go into the, um, I mean, I'm just talking about the instr- instrumentation, obviously, not the lyrics. But when they go into the, um, it's like a single note guitar part. Like that, that's brilliant. And that's like, and that's probably my favorite feature of this song is because like what, what the drums and bass are doing while the guitarists aren't playing these chords, they're like singling out the, just a string. Do you know what I mean? Like this, uh, and making it warbly and gnarly. Um, and it's, God, it's, it's everything to me. That um, single note also, part I wanted to mention, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the shins, which might seem a weird, uh, parallel with this song, but the shins have a song called, 
uh, oh, what is it called? Turn a square? I'm pretty sure it's called Turn a Square. Um, but it has almost the same thing in it. It's like these seven hits where it's like single note. The vocalist is doing the same note. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I wonder if but, that guy's a Fugazi fan. I haven't looked into that. <laughs> I think, I think uh, anybody with the soul and a pulse should be a <laughs> Fugazi fan. <laughs> no, but, uh, it, but it's not necessarily like just as, I mean, they obviously changed notes in that part, but it's like, it's like beating that single string. Do you know what I mean? Like making like that, like yeah. they're not, it's not like this full chord part. It, and it's so, uh, like there's so much, there's so much to that. Uh, there's so, like there's a looseness to it, but they're obviously all together in it. Um, and what's also interesting about that part is that, uh, th- that it's, they establish that part without vocals and then they wrap around and come back to it with vocals. Um, and it's, it sounds kind of snotty and, uh, and in your face. And I think it's, I think the song is just brutal. I think, I mean, like in, in the way that I like, I like my rock and roll. Like I like, I like something to be this, this level of gnarly. I get that brutal and snotty. That, that is true. I was just thinking the, you know, he starts out addressing Justice Brennan and he says, a baby, like He's like, ooh, baby. It's like he's he's saying this to, to Justice Brennan. <laughs> like, it's a little confusing and, and weird that he would do that. It's like, so, it, it does have that snotty sort of <laughs> feel that way, I guess. <laughs> I think, you know, the thing that's funny about it, though, is like, like, Fugazi would be the last band in the world that you'd think there'd be like a ooh, baby part. You yeah, know? that's like, you'd true. Ex- <laughs> you'd expect that from like the cult, like Ian Asbury or something, but not, not from Fugazi. But if you think about it also, like, there are a couple of things, the way to think about this. Like, if you look at it in terms of, like, uh, literary criticism where you're, like, overanalyzing something, this is... I'm all about dear that. Just, if, if, it's, so, it's like, you know, in that sense, we have license to say anything, right? You, anything you can read into it, you know, like, beyond author's intent, which can be annoying. But, but if you say, like, um, it's a letter, and a, and a letter starts with dear... Right, mm-hmm. and then you have this this sort of like in, endearing thing where you call somebody baby is like for me for me it's tied in literary criticism. If I can jump in there, we call that epistolary. Yeah, there are a lot yeah, of yeah, famous yeah. novels that are written in the epistolary form, such as Dracu- Frankenstein, Dracula. And Dracula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are some yeah. other songs, notable songs I wanted to mention. There's "Stand" by Eminem, takes the form of several letters. Uh, there's "P.S. I Love You" by the Beatles. There's care of cell 44 by the zombies so it, it is a rich tr- tradition i mean in a way you could say that about anything that uses like the second person like all the second person stuff is like talking to you uh, the cure does it all the time like um actually saying you know you you're doing this you i you know you when you did that um but anyway the, the other thing is that i think about the ooh baby part outside of lit crit <laughs> is is that uh, is that Guy is completely free? That guy can do anything he wants. <laughs> he's like, like he's not he's not beholden to uh, some rule that says he can't say "baby" in a punk song. You know what I mean? Like he's That's just <laughs> like, he's just gonna. That guy would do what he wants. Like it's and it's great. It's so it's so great. Um, and uh. And it's 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 consistent because he does it at the end too. He does it in the beginning and he does it he does it at the end. 
anyway, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to start on, on this. I will say though, as far as like analyzing the, analyzing the, the text itself, I, I'm often, I'm often, uh, I often don't have answers with, with the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And in this sense, like you give, like you gave a great historic, uh, background for, um, Justice Brennan, but it's, like I actually don't know what Guy is actually trying to say here. I, th- I th- sometimes I think he's um, he's lamenting the loss uh, of of a liberal judge, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there's um, but my confusion is is that so like if you if you take a look at the lyrics, Justice Brennan, take um, I'm actually looking at my vinyl right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take take out some insurance on me. I don't know what that line means. Me neither, man. Uh, and uh, and then he says, "It's just that I'm busted and dripping. My sorry lungs are all leaking." And so this so this part of the song is first person, and then at, in the second half of the song, um, he says, "Justice Brennan, I know it's not your fault." So now he's like addressing him, right? Which is like. Like, if you take that literally, like, I know it's not your fault you had to quit, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and he says, no, baby, no, baby. And that's the line I like even better than, ooh, baby, because it's, like, that's the real endearment. Like, that's the, like, like this almost, like, mothering, like, you know, I know it's not your fault, no, baby. Like, I, yeah. I'm i not saying that to be corny. Like, I'm saying it like, that's beautiful. But at the same time, it does seem like a song that's taking him to task for deciding to retire, don't you think? I in in some sense like but but to say i know it's not your fault and then he says it's just that you're busted and dripping um your sorry lungs are all leaking right and if you're talking about old age uh and then he says it's not over it's not over um uh so like it's not over it's not over it's almost like like if you think about it optimistically it's like the people are going to continue to fight for the cause it's not over true even if you're not if even if you're not here um and then here comes the kiss off. No idea. I have no idea. So like, if if I apply meaning to it, like your analysis saying that he's angry at a at some some sense of abandonment, right? Then then here comes the kiss off. Like you said you wouldn't go, but but here you are going. Um, and or, well, that's another line that uh, is said in opposite ways. The first time he says, "I'm not waiting around until the kiss off," um, meaning. Uh, I mean, so there's uh, different ways you can interpret the kiss off too. Is that is it death? Like I'm not waiting around to die. Um, I'm not, or it could be interpreted as Brennan like retiring and and abandoning uh, people who need his uh, you know his liberal leaning on the court. Um, and the second time he says, "I'm I'm waiting around until the kiss off," like I am. So first it's negative, then it's positive. Um, so there's, <laughs> I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it in terms of death. I like that. Like if you said, like, if, if you said, I'm not waiting around until the kiss off, I'm not, I'm not waiting around to die or I'm not waiting around for you to die or, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And at the end, if like, here comes the kiss off, it's not a nice way to say it, <laughs> but, <it's, No. laughs> but it, might, it might not be, or, but I mean, the other way to analyze it is like, is to say like, whoever is coming in, uh, whether it's suitor or, or, you know, or whatever whoever's coming in after like it's going to be a it's going to be the big kiss off for all of us or something like 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 here it comes uh, to me death figures hugely in this song actually like i think that's 
in subtext a lot. But so as I said, um, you know, apparently Brennan did say that he would be on the court until he died if it was, you know, rather than uh, retire under conservative administration. And then he did end up doing that. So a lot of this to me seems to be Gee saying, um, you know, ask me to be excused. I won't go die politely, which is. Oh, you mean like if you were if you were to ask me if I was in your shoes? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so to to bring to bring in the literary criticism that uh, that you you brought up here, I wanted to draw a parallel. To to me, this really reminds me of um, "Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night," which is a Dylan Thomas poem, probably the most famous one. Um, yeah, I, I assume most of us read that in high school at some point. Um, but but that whole poem is, uh, you know, it's sort of like it's almost a letter itself. It's addressed to to the speaker's father taking an angry tone at his father for being so so accepting of his imminent death i guess it's uh, and and saying well, like old age should burn and rave at close of day like you should be angry you should fight against death um right and and that's that's a very uh, that very much parallels the tone that i get from Guy in this song and i uh, and i wonder like you can read both of those on a couple of levels which is um which you can take it on the surface level, like this this attitude that like if it were me, I wouldn't I wouldn't go die politely. I wouldn't uh, retire when people need me. I would be in this fight uh, right up to to my dying breath. Um, but then it, you can also interpret that. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just something you do as you get older, as a commentary on a young man's perspective of that, um, which is. I, you know, it's it's just something your perspective changes on over time, I think. Like, I remember um, when I was in high school or something, I remember my grandfather saying something to the effect of, like, being ready to die and just being horrified by that. Like, it was it was straight up horrifying. To, uh, But now, you know, uh, I'm sort of reaching middle age and I, uh, you know, I appreciate, like, if somebody can deal with the the fact of having to die soon and being accepting of it and and doing that peacefully um so so yeah it's a couple of levels for this song like just being angry at somebody for not giving up and presenting the viewpoint of a young man who's too young to understand uh an elderly person uh feeling that way i guess i mean i think i think your analysis is is right on and and I think uh, the only like the 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 thing I struggle with is is what I said in the beginning though is that is the is the first person part in the beginning like I'm busted and dripping my my sorry lungs are leaking. Uh, I was trying to Google and see if um, if Brennan's health problems were caused by smoking. I couldn't really get a satisfactory answer. He definitely had been a heavy smoker in his younger days. Um, unclear to me whether he continued with that and whether that caused his problems. But uh, if so, hey, th- that's an idea for the lungs line. <laughs> well, there's, uh, I mean, there's the other line we haven't, we didn't talk about too, which is, I mean, this this song is so great. Uh, it says, it's all over, I said, and then right after that, uh, the last fair deal going down. Um, I, I love that line. Like are, this, are you aware this, of, of the significance of that line? Uh this is no. This is a reference. Um, there is uh, a blues song by Robert Johnson, uh, "Last Fair Deal Gone Down." <laughs> um, the 
the famed blues band. I do band. know Robert Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link That's to this awesome. in the show notes as well. Um, That's and so good. And, of course, the story about Robert Johnson is, yeah. uh, I'm sure you know it, that... Yeah, went down to the crossroads. Yeah, he sold his soul to the devil for his <laughs> musical ability. So, like, that raises yeah. a whole other... Like, it, it's not certain that that's what that song is about. Uh, but if it is, is that a parallel with Brennan? Is his retiring some kind of a deal with the devil? That's another possibility. I like that. I like that. Um, but, I mean, and then there's, but then there's also the, you know, the literal analysis of just, like, that was the last bit of fairness in the court right you know what i mean like um and again that that becomes part of the lament um but i mean i love tying (laughs) i love tying robert johnson to this yeah that wowed me when i figured that out it's really it's really super nerdy and really good (laughs) like it's it's really like the uh this appeals to the yeah i uh, i think that can't be english i think that must have been a i think that must have been purposeful by guy uh Snatching that little line, don't you? Well, those—I mean, those guys are—they're no—they're not—they're uh, not dummies about music. Oh no, and music and music history, like those. And that's the thing about—that's the thing about this band. Like, if you ask me, the best bands that ever existed were are are the biggest fans of music. Like, I would say um, you can't listen to Fugazi and actually and not realize that those those guys devoured music. Um, uh, most of them worked in record stores. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they, they just, they're so knowledgeable about, about music history. And then there's, um, or like the beastie boys, like there's no way you, you could, you know, I know you brought them up earlier for your childhood memory, but those, those guys, like they have to be fans of, of music, you know, uh, De La Soul, I saw De La Soul's DJ Mace uh, do a sound check at 9.30 Club one time, and he just had his personal records, just DJing his personal records for a sound check. And I was just like, it was like a, it was like a lesson in music history. It was, <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. And it's like, uh, you know, the Beatles, the Beatles are fans. Those guys were fans. Those, like, they, they fought to find music just like we went to um, record stores and, and dug in, in bins. Those guys, uh, the Beatles and the Stones, would get on buses and ride to, to the next town because they heard a record was there. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, like the best the best bands in the world are the, are the fans, you know? I gotta, I gotta say, though, I love... Um, uh, I love Guy's... I mean, outside of the literary thing... I love Guy's delivery. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, he does his famous, he busts out his famous vocal trill on. He, uh, do, he rolls his R, yeah. R right? I think. Yeah. When he and, says it's and all then, over. And he doesn't do it a second time, which actually shows us how tasteful he is. Because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he, has, he has another chance to do it. Um, and there's some other really cool things in the mix here. Like there are, like he doubles his vocals for, uh, you know, uh, Justice Brennan, um, I know it's not your fault, mm-hmm. and then it goes to and then it goes to single vo- single track after that. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a play with the mix and the and the emphasis um, on all this kind of stuff. But but for Guy, I um, <laughs> I don't know. How I'm going to say this. I really hope if those guys ever hear this thing that they don't they don't get mad at me over well, analyzing their stuff. But yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going. I was going to say, uh, if you think you're uh, ramping up to talk about ratings. We could do that now and roll your assessment of this song into what you think of it in, in the context of the Fugazi catalog from one to five stars. Could you give this a uh, number rating? You mean the song? That's right. Oh, uh, well, okay. So let me just say this about about ratings. Um, I And this probably has to do with the fact that I'm, a, I'm an English teacher and I... Same here. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, uh, and I, you know, so like, like, like you, I'm kind of in the muck and mire of, of grading. And, uh, there's an aspect of this, like grading music that I think is, is garbage. And I'm not saying that to offend you <laughs> at all. So please don't, None take I just, but it's like when I read a pitchfork rating or like, oh, they got, you know, one star out of five or once, like, I just, man, I don't care at all it does nothing to me it doesn't mean anything like do you know what i'm saying so um it's really easy if you're asking for something out of five it's really easy for me to give this a five i think a song burns i think like for a bunch of reasons uh can i just go off for a second (laughs) go off go off queen all right i think the song burns because one one of the most punk things you can do in a song is say somebody's name right just to like so if this is a lament about Justice Brennan or whatever, to actually say it by name is so hardcore. Um, uh, to to check somebody in a song, sometimes you might think it's like you know trite or whiny or whatever. But these guys come from legitimate punk, you know, like a actual boots in your face kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So it's uh, is it's sort of fascinating to me. Like um, the band Swizz. Uh, Sean Brown used to be in Dag Nasty, and uh, Dag Nasty had a song where they they sing the line "Lies, um, lies aren't just exercises," and uh, and in a Swizz song, Sean says uh, like there's like a breakdown, and he gets on the mic and says, "Lies aren't exercises." <laughs> it's like he's not in Dag Nasty anymore, and it's so crazy that you would say that in a song and record it and put it out. Do you know what I mean? Like. You actually, you said the thing in the song. It's so brutal, you know? And for me, like, I liked Swizz and I liked Dag Nasty. And I wasn't into, like, a war between the bands or something like that. But, like, in the spirit of punk rock, I was just like, man, you're definitely saying it. So, so like, I like that level of, um, you know, I mean, Guy did it with, um, what song is it that he says? Uh, Lockheed, Martin Mar- Marietta. Do you like me? Yeah, do you like me? Yeah, um, that's that's amazing, right? That's an amazing moment. Yeah, I mean, but so I like that, and then I like uh, I like Guy's. What I was going to say about his delivery is that sometimes sometimes he sings a line that I don't. I, I very often, let's put it that way, he'll sing something that I don't understand at all, and I I love it anyway. And it's not just Guy. You know, there's a lot of bands that do that where you. It's like somebody spun some some phonetics and some some wild poetry, and I may not understand it, but I uh, but I sure do like it, you know. Um, and I think with Guy, like listening to him sing a song, I think that it, he sounds like somebody who's not reading off a lyric sheet. <laughs> 
Like, have you ever been in a studio and you do a vocal yeah, take and absolutely. you have the lyrics like right in front of you and you're trying to kind of nail the lyrics? Like, Guy is uh, Guy is playing mm-hmm. with the phonetics and he's making like there's some stuff that to me sounds almost like like uh, like he's not saying the lines, so I don't know what line he's saying. You know, like um, in uh, do you know the song Guilford Fall on N Hits? Um, yes. Okay, so in Guilford in Guilford Fall. There's there's a line that I'm I'm obsessed with where he says, um, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff about uh, hunger and appetite in in that song, mm-hmm. and then he says, uh, snakes ingest forty times their body weight, but you you emaciate. <laughs> <laughs> and if you listen to that, if you listen to that part, and it's at the end of the song. It's probably the greatest moment of Fugazi songs ever. It's this crazy thing. It's a cacophony of insanity. And and if you follow the lyrics, it's impossible to follow the lyrics cuz he is going off. You know what I mean? Like and and it's it's one of the it's like it's just so great, you know? And he doesn't he doesn't do that in this song except for um I'm trying to think of the line uh uh, I can't remember the line now. I feel like he's, um, there's a line that I, I always hear an extra word in, <laughs> in this song. Yeah. And for some reason I can't, I can't remember. Um, oh no, I know what it is. I know what it is. Uh, you're busted and dripping, right? That line. Yeah. To me, it, <laughs> you're going to think I'm crazy. To me, it sounds like he's saying, you're awful busted and dripping. <laughs> <laughs> That's not crazy at all. Like, you know, like he's like, like you're awful. Thing. Like, like, and which is like, you know, this kind of like our gang, like, gee, you're awful busted. And <laughs> which I'm sure he's not saying, but it's like, but like, like almost like adding, adding something there. Um, or like, I don't know if you, if you're familiar with one last wish, but at the end of, of um, uh, burning in the undertow, um, Burning in the Undertow has this amazing line, which I, I don't understand, but I love it. It's they poured their malice down your back, and then they dropped a match, right? Like, do you know that song? I don't know if you know that song. I don't know that song, okay. but yeah, Guy has this way with impressionistic language that makes you feel something, even if it doesn't make sense on a on a literal level sometimes. But but I'm saying like, it, but like there's a thing where like. I don't feel like he's on a script. You know, he's like, he's feeling it. Like, it's real. So, like, like one last wish. Like, they poured their malice down your back. And then, and then at the end of the song, the last line, he says, and then, then he says, and then, then they, and then they uh, dropped a match. And then after that, I don't know what he says because it's not in the lyric sheet, but I think he says, it sounds like, dropped a match here tonight. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean here tonight? Here tonight is a part of this thing. But there's something else going on, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's it's uh, it's amazing. I don't know. I just I love uh, I love when he when he goes off, you know. I I do love it too. Um, it's it is in its way a great vocal performance. Um, I think somewhat sheepishly, I'm gonna have to say this one for me. Um, I mean the the average Fugazi song is very strong, uh, but. Yeah, for me, this one is below that average. Um, I guess, I guess, in some ways, it's not just the stuff I like in a Fugazi song. Like, I, to me, it's kind of 
atonal, but not in like not in a good way. It's um <laughs> like there's this that the opening riff is so promising and it just sort of never pays off for me. Like they go through all these chord changes, but like I don't know, to me it never hits the way it does for you, I think. No, um, I mean absolutely uh, we we are we are total opposites here. Like I like I'm here hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. <laughs> If I could be in a band that played this song, like I would, I'd drop everything to play this song, like just to play that beat. Um, it's crazy. Like it's a slow beat. He does these like uh, Brendan does these like straight tom fills and then comes back into the slow beat uh, when he raises the hi hat and then switches to the ride. There's, I mean, there's the other thing about this recording, by the way, is that uh, the drums are are they're they're mixed on the drummer's perspective. <laughs> so, so when the toms wrap around from, from left, from, I mean, normally it would go from, from uh, right to left because that's what the audience would see. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, in this record, it's different. It goes from left to right because it's, you're mixing from and like the drummer's perspective. <laughs> this is something that I love about having drummers on this show because I never ever would have thought of that. No, um, when you when you notice it as a drummer, and when you notice it as a drummer, you just don't notice it because it's like that's what that's what music sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so you really have to like strain to be like, oh, oh yeah, that's why it's so you know in the pocket or whatever the yeah. stupid. No, that's so cool. Is. I think what I think one of the other things that the re- it doesn't hit for me is like i mean the lyrics are you're right it seems like um he's not on a script but also i don't know it almost seems like a missed opportunity to me to be a little more direct and coherent about making a certain point in this song um not that not that he's obligated to do that uh but um i guess i guess i wanted to a little bit more of a straightforward message, uh, something more to to grab onto in terms of lyrics. Um, there are a couple of other things too, like so when Ian sings the refrain, it's like I said, it's like yeah. I like I said. Yeah, he's singing it like it really means something, but like I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't get anything from it, like though with the same way that I get from a lot of his refrains. There are there are little things too, like when he when Guy says like. Um, the the line shoot me lightly like to me that doesn't make any sense other than that it rhymes with politely um like i know it sounds like i'm being really harsh but i'm just trying to justify uh what i'm saying and that like this isn't just it's not like one of my favorites um it's still of course a fugazi song and therefore great but for me i'm gonna have to go like 1.5 out of 5 it's, whoa it's like whoa. it's like that on the scale for me oh yeah, my I know. god no i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> This is what's so great about having uh, different people on. (laughs) I want to make you, uh, like, now I want to, here's the thing. So, like, I'm not one of these people that's like, if we have a difference of opinion, I'm not going to be like, you're wrong, dude, you know, or something like that. Like, that's, that's not a conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, I appreciate everybody's, what everybody's got to say about this stuff. But, um, but just to counter, I feel like if it would, like, if it was more didactic, I, I, you know what I mean? Not, not to put words in your mouth, but like you're you're saying like you want it to be more direct. Like if it if it was more that, I don't think we would have had such a cool conversation about this song. <laughs> like, well, that's true. Like I that's feel something. like we I feel like we we were like you brought up some stuff I hadn't I hadn't thought of before, and I've 
you know, I mean, I have a bias because I was, I was sort of there for this. And like when I first heard it, like I wasn't like overanalyzing lyrics or anything like that. You know what I mean? But, but I, um, but I like what you brought, uh, the points that you make about the song. And, and I like, like, uh, I don't know if there's a vagueness to it. Uh, I'm okay with that. Like, like I think this sn- might be somewhat uh, projecting on on my behalf because like I've I've written songs I've I've been a songwriter and there are moments to me where like with with the line shoot me lightly like I, where it relates to me because I'll I'll sort of be struggling with with a couplet or a line well I'm like well I'll write this and it doesn't like super make sense but it rhymes and it works and I try to justify it to myself after the fact with mm-hmm. like with that it has some deeper meaning but if i really like ask myself deep in my heart i know i just i kind of i kind of just got lazy on it and wrote the first thing that comes to mind not so i'm not necessarily saying that that like this is lazy songwriting or anything but it's the kind of thing that i hear it and i'm like uh i don't know is this is <laughs> like is it real thoughtful songwriting or is this one kind of like is it is it spotty in that way yeah so I, I think I have that personal reaction. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Not not one of the best ones for me. I think, uh, like, I think, so I'm, I, I think I'm just, I'm, I'm way more forgiving of it. Like, like if you listen to, um, it's like listening to Can and listening to like, uh, where like, like people are, are on a specific trip. Um, or like, have you ever written something, uh, have you ever written something like a uh, like an essay or something, and you when you go back to read it a few days later, you realize that you use the same adjective three times in close oh, pro- yeah. in close proximity. Like sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we do get stuck, you know. Like uh, and it's and we and we don't we don't even know. But I I think like with this kind of like with this kind of art and with this kind of collaboration. Uh, I'm just more, I'm just more forgiving of it. And I will say like, Guy is to me, he's just not walking among us. Like he's like, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. He's amazing. <laughs> like he's like, you know, like he can, I mean, this guy, he's the one that can say baby in a song and I'm like, right on. Yeah. You can, you can do that. Like he could, he could probably say, ow. And I feel like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like got a, a little Halo big thing. bopper in there coming. No, through. I just think it's, you know, like it's it's great. And the other thing is, I will say that like we probably the reason that this song is such a jam to me. To me, it's a it's a stone groove. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, uh, yeah. and the, and the snottiness and gnarliness of it to me is like, uh, the the noise of it is is what I is what I like. It's like it's like the type of band I always wanted to be in. It's like I don't know if you ever, you know, if you ever listen. It's not. It doesn't sound like Flipper. But I don't know if you've ever listened to Flipper, um, something that's like very noisy. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that this exists. Like, this is like, they were on a trip. Like, I don't know. Um, the other thing is well, that's, that. No, those... I super value that. Like, it's sometimes I have uh, guests on who are total in total agreement with me. And, but there's something that's not as fun about that. Uh, so yeah, I really, <laughs> I, I really value you, having the. I want to make you a mixtape now. That's what I want to do. I want to like, we should please trade, do. We should trade mixtapes. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm. Well, in. that's that's the other thing you should know about me is that like I'm not. I was never 
into hardcore that much. Um, like, I I don't honestly listen to that much punk outside of like Fugazi in their immediate orbit. Um, like, I listened to Minor Threat, but they were never like one of my go-to bands. Fugazi is they have something that that in a lot of their music really stands out to me and and sort of surfs above um, the rest of their milieu or or whatever. Uh, and yeah. and just sort of explodes their way into being one of my absolute favorite bands, even though it's it's in a larger genre that I I don't really go to that often. So yeah, something I, I special. I mean, Fugazi is like that's they're they more than qualify for some for a band to uh, obsess over without having to go through uh, Rites of Spring and Minor Threat and Embrace or, or whatever. I I grew up listening to those other records and. And, you know, my trajectory was different for sure, but I, I still, uh, like, like Fugazi isn't, uh, Fugazi is, is very much its own thing. You know what I mean? Like that's like, and, and that's, and like, just to emphasize the, the point I made earlier, just a little bit is like, like steady diet. Like I understand your, like your reluctance to, to, to sink your teeth into it, like the other records or something like that, or like, you just don't, don't feel it or whatever. But for me, it's like, again, it's like, if you're going to like Fugazi, you get like, for me, it's the whole ride. It's the whole ride. Like the records, those records are so strong and so important. And the band itself was so important. Like, um, and what people don't, don't realize about them as individuals is like, people can guess how connected they were, right? But if you actually mm-hmm. were on the inside with them at any point, whether it was in conversation or like, um, I played I played drums in the Discord house basement with Joe Lally and Ian when Joe was trying to record ideas for, for his first record. And they just needed somebody to hold a beat. And I sat there and I played with, with, with Joe and Ian and I thought, <clears throat> man, I'm playing with half of Fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> you're there <laughs> and uh i mean i wasn't in a band you know what i mean it was just like and just a afternoon of like you know trying to help joe out but i um what was amazing for me was watching joe and ian communicate with each other i've i've been in a bunch of bands lots and lots and lots of bands i've been in a band with my own brother do you know what i mean like and my <laughs> and my brother and i really can kind of vibe out and get kind of lock in that we we can do that but man Joe and Ian were on another level Joe was playing some stuff that Ian had never heard before and Ian just pulled out his guitar and immediately was nailing it and then when Joe was singing a line Ian started doing backup vocals and like a harmony with him right away without even knowing the lyrics do you know what I mean like he was just like f- figuring it out right there and those guys were completely free like, do you know, like, do you know how pent up I am? <laughs> like, I can't, <laughs> like, it's crazy to think about, like, uh, even bands I'm in now, like, I, I, I go to practice, I practice before I go to practice, so that yeah. I don't, so I don't waste anybody's time. Like, I, I try to work out the vocals before I get there, like, I can't, I don't, I don't want to embarrass myself, I don't want to waste any, like, anybody, like, wait for me to figure it out, um, 
And watching those guys just get together and just start cooking right away was was amazing. And so if you think about that, like think about that, J- Joe and Ian, right? And then think about the fact that uh, Brendan and, and Guy were in bands since they were like babies. <laughs> Those guys were in bands like forever ago, right? So, uh, like that that band is like they are uh, they are unique for sure. They're they're something to obsess over. Yeah, well said. I I think we can shake hands and agree on that, if nothing else, for sure. <laughs> so, hey, um, it's great to talk to you. Let's let me give you a chance to do some plugs. Uh, where can listeners reach you if you want to be reached? Do you have anything coming up music-wise or otherwise that you want to get out there? Um, um, let's wow. fly. I didn't, I didn't think that... Man, I should have written something down. Um, I'm in... Technically, I'm in four bands, which uh, is... You know, I'm, I'm in bands that refuse to break up. Um, so I'm in a band called Soccer Team, uh, and that stuff is available through Discord and through Bandcamp. Um and I'm in a band called uh, Minutes, uh, who reside in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, and that's that. Those recordings are available through Comedy Minus One and uh, and Bandcamp. Um, and uh, I'm in a band called Yes Vacancy. Uh, and uh, that our music is available through Bandcamp. And I'm in a band <laughs> called continuals and that is also available through Bandcamp. um uh and if anybody like we didn't talk about uh i uh, like visual art at all um but if anybody's interested in that that aspect of things uh they can find me on instagram pretty easily the name is ryan carol nelson and it's two r's and two l's and carol well, send me any relevant links and I'll be happy to put them in the show notes for you and direct listeners there. Sure. Um, as for me, as usual, my only plugs are that listeners can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com and can also join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, and talk about this uh, most controversial of songs. Um, feel free to <laughs> lacerate me for my low rating. So um, anyway, chime in with your two cents about Dear Justice Letter, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Do You Like Me? Until then, keep your eyes open.